Bow your heads with me, please. Father, we praise you this morning for the joy of our salvation. We praise you for the power and the glory that belongs to you. We praise you for the raising up of your son on that third day. Death and sin are defeated. How sweet and comforting are the words. He is not here, but has risen. All our hope and joy are in you and you alone. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You are the one that keeps us and sustains us and fills us with life. Your love is our strength. Your sacrifice is our peace. Your glory is our treasure. We ask that you will do what we cannot do. Father, save the lost and keep us to yourself. Penetrate your word into our hearts. Help us to believe the truth of your word. Nourish us. Revive us. May the hope of the gospel be our strength. May Jesus Christ be ever more precious and dear to us. Lord, as you do it for us, we ask that you will do it for over the one and a half million Arab Bedouin in Iraq. Father, a people that's trapped in the false religion of Islam. Lord, we pray that you will send missionaries, you'll send ambassadors to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the Bedouin in Iraq. Father, we pray that you will establish a people there and that churches will rise up and the good news of Jesus Christ will be heard all over that people. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will open hearts and minds and that the people will be receptive to the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will show us how we can support brothers and sisters who are being sent to the Arab Bedouin. Father, we thank you that we are part of a global church who get to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world. Father, we thank you for Pastor Rob Stevens of Alethia College Park Church. Father, we pray that you will be with Pastor Rob and his wife as they minister there in College Park, Maryland. Father, we pray that you will give them opportunities to share the gospel with students there on campus and that they will share the good news with their neighbors all around the town, Father. Lord, we pray for the church to have wisdom as their elders have been installed. May you give them discernment and wisdom according to your word. Unite them through your word, Father. Lord, we pray for Pastor Rob's family that you will strengthen them and encourage them Father, I pray that you will give them a deeper sense of the assured hope that we have in Jesus. Father, we pray for our friends who are serving through Pioneers USA. Father, they are preaching the good news in areas that are closed officially. But Father, the good news goes forth. Nothing will thwart your word. Father, we pray that you will strengthen our brothers and sisters who are in harm's way. We pray that you will give them a boldness and the courage to give the good news of the gospel no matter what comes against them. Father, may we remember them as if we are with them, Father. Lord, we pray that you will prepare hearts and minds as they do the good work of the ministry 
that you will save many. Lord, we lift up the other churches here in King George County. We pray that the gospel will be heard today, that it will not fall on deaf ears. We pray that the gospel will be heard and will be submitted to and will be obeyed. Father, I pray for fellow pastors and preachers who are giving the good news. May they be faithful to your word and may they have the shepherd's heart like the good shepherd and tell them the news that Jesus is risen. Lord, we especially pray for Hanover Baptist Church and Pastor Rick Cruikshank. Lord, I pray that you will enable him to preach mightily today that you will strengthen that body of believers. What a joy it is to partner with them in serving King George County. Lord, we ask all this in your Son's name as we turn to your word now. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 17, we'll be looking at verses 30 through 31. It's found on 927 in the church Bible, and if you need a Bible and have not yet grabbed one off the back cart, please raise your hand and we will get one to you. And if you do not own a Bible, please keep it as our gift to you. Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. When you're there, please stand with me as I read God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Amen. You may be seated. Father, open our hearts to Your word. And set our eyes and our hearts upon Jesus. Amen. Today is a glorious day. And frankly, every Sunday is glorious. It's an opportunity to come and to worship our Lord and Savior. To worship the one true God. To thank Him and to praise Him and simply who He is. But this morning is special because we are gathered together to celebrate, to truly celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is an empty tomb where he was laid. Amen. A few days ago, it was Good Friday, the day we remember when Jesus went to the cross to die. After three years of earthly ministry, he was arrested and tried, he was scourged, he was mocked, and then he went to the cross to be a costly sacrifice for sin. It was a day when Jesus paid in full, the full debt, the immense debt that his people had with God. Their separation and their opposition toward him being atoned for by his death. This was a day when Jesus was a substitute to satisfy God's justice for His people's sins. And He provided redemption for them. It's called Good Friday because Jesus submitted Himself as the perfect Lamb of God 
who was slain, so that the barrier between God, who's holy and righteous, and His people, who in themselves are completely corrupted, this barrier between them would be removed. And God's people would now have an everlasting relationship and enjoy Him and His goodness and His grace. As great and as loving, as awesome as this is, it doesn't end there. It's so much more than that. This time of Easter with Good Friday and today His resurrection goes beyond God establishing an eternal relationship with His people. Jesus died on Good Friday to repair the damage done to God's glory. People are created to worship God alone and everyone, every person here has fallen short of that. God is not worshipped for His glory. He is despised, He's rejected, and He's ignored. You see, the reality is God does not need a relationship with you. He is not lonely. He is not served by human hands. He is not served by our worship. And He does not have to save you. And no one is worthy to be with Him and to have a relationship with Him. You see, the greatest problem in the universe is that God's glory has been defiled by His creation. By you and me and every other person. And there's nothing you and I do to give God or to repay what He deserves. We are created to have a relationship with God, a relationship where He is worshipped and adored. So Jesus came and replaced the insult to God's glory with stunning vindication. And in that, He secured a relationship with God for everyone who repents and believes in Him. So that now in this relationship with God, we worship Him in His glory as we were created to do. From Good Friday to His resurrection, Jesus restored God's glory. And He put it on full display for everyone to see. He satisfied His justice and He gave mercy to His people. What a glorious God He is. And He did it by standing in the place of sinners and becoming sin. And then conquering that sin through His resurrection. When the women and the disciples went to the tomb, it was empty. In light of that, our passage this morning means one of two things for every person in this building. From the young to the old men and women, it is either a call to repentance or it means that God's judgment is coming for you. No one can give God glory that He deserves. We have, we have all failed and committed the worst crime imaginable. We have put ourselves in the place of God. Sin has made us rebellious and deserving of punishment, and we are helpless. 
our passage tells us that there are two consequences. Either your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ, or God's wrath is upon you, and your future is standing in front of a holy, righteous God. Now this may sound harsh to some here this morning. It may even sound unloving and too direct. Some of you have invited guests to be here with you this morning, and I'm declaring a sobering fact that every person's future is either forgiveness in Jesus or judgment. Maybe you're asking yourself, how is this a celebration? How is this a glorious day? It's glorious because for Christians, for those who are saved by God's grace, who repent of sin and believe in Jesus, our future is secure because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have hope that the judgment we could have faced has been dealt with completely and decisively in Jesus. Christians have no fear. We have no reason to fear judgment because Jesus was already judged for us. It's not in what we do, it's in what He has already done. Believers are able to celebrate this morning, and we will continue to celebrate for all eternity that Jesus stood in our place so that justice would be done. He died for us, and God's glory is vindicated, and God's justice is satisfied. So that we may now live with Him in glory forever. I tell you the truth, there is nothing more loving I could say this morning than to give you the good news, to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ, especially if you had never heard it before. It's loving to warn people when they are in danger. If you're driving toward a cliff and your view is obstructed by things, maybe you're distracted by things you see out the side windows or what's going on inside the car, or maybe you're looking at something off in the distance or you're looking in the rearview mirror seeing what's behind you and you're headed straight toward the edge of the cliff, I am sure you would want someone to warn you that you're driving off the edge that you're driving off the cliff and you'll perish. It can happen. The danger is real. Our passage this morning is a warning that every person faces a future where they will either fall into peril because they will face a judge who is righteous or they will be carried to safety because of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. The question this morning is, are you facing a judge or are you facing his mercy? It's a simple question that has far-reaching effects. The verses I read in Acts are part of a summary of Paul's preaching in the city of Athens. He's warning them and pointing them to Jesus. 
Paul had come to Athens, and in verse 16, it says that he was provoked because the city was full of idols. The city was filled with temples and statutes, idolizing the Greek gods. They were everywhere. Ancient texts describe the marketplace being lined, being literally littered with the idols. Greek architecture, all their buildings, their culture, their clothes was littered with these idols. God's glory was robbed by a people who were created by Him and for Him. Yet they lived their lives and they worshiped gods of their own making. Much like all of us today. It says Paul was angered because of the idolatry in Athens. So he speaks with people in the Jewish synagogues and in the marketplace. And some others hear him and he's brought to the Areopagus where he addresses the philosophers and the thinkers of Athens. And he gives them the gospel message. Now Paul could have pointed to anything. He could have addressed anything in the city, what he saw going on, what was wrong. He could have invited them anywhere. But instead he saw opportunity to tell them the best news possible, the most loving news possible, this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. That begs another question for God's church. Are we so desiring for God's glory to be adored that we're stirred into action when we see Him dishonored? Are you so aligned with Christ that you will approach others with this gospel message? Church, God's glory is the most important aspect to your faith. And helping others understand why God has you here is your purpose in life. Those who are part of God's family, we are not home yet. God hasn't taken us home so that we will tell of His glory. Paul understood that. And his life reflected that. He spoke to the Areopagus, which was a court that had authority over religious affairs of Athens, and they had jurisdiction over certain criminal and civil cases. It's also the name of the place where the court met. It's a massive rock formation that is called the Areopagus. It's named after the Greek god of war. If you have the King James Bible this morning, it may be translated as Mars Hill. Well, with the Greek god of war being Ares, when the Romans took over, they renamed it Mars, which is their god of war. So Areopagus or Mars Hill, if your translation says that, it is the same place. We're talking the same place here. I had a chance a few years ago to, to stand on that rock formation, to stand on the Areopagus when I traveled to Athens to visit some pastors there. It overlooks the marketplace where Paul went to, where he witnessed and he shared the good news, where all the idols were littered there. On top of that rock formation, you literally have a panoramic view of the whole city. So Paul, standing up there, he could have seen all the temples and all the idols as he gave the gospel message. 
Behind the Areopagus is the Parthenon, the temple that's dedicated to the goddess Athena that the city is named after. In the midst of all of that, Paul begins his message by addressing the city and all these idols that they can see. In verse 22, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And he says he's passed lots of statues and altars devoted to the worship of many gods, even coming across one with the inscription to the unknown God. And Paul then uses that to let them know that this so-called unknown God was in fact the one true God that he was there to tell them about. You see, in the Athenians' pursuit to ensure that all the gods were covered in their worship, they skipped over the one that really matters and the only one who's real. In verses 24 and 25, Paul says that God, the Creator, is the only one who truly deserves worship. The Athenians thought they had everything covered. They even had an idol for that one that they just so happened to forget. But you see, God is not an afterthought. He is deserving of all of our thought and all of our devotion and our worship. These people love to worship. We all love to worship. We all worship something. We either worship ourselves or other people, or we create this idea of what a God is and we worship that. We are created. It's in us to worship. Whatever you hold up as your most precious possession is what you worship. For followers of Jesus Christ, our most treasured possession is Jesus. To live is Christ and everything else just simply doesn't compare. He has the supreme worth. Paul says the worship the Athenians seek is really the one who created everyone and everything in the world. Paul saw this as an opportunity to tell them in verses 27 and 28 that humans were created to seek God and to have a relationship with Him. But Paul says in verse 29 that their worship is fake and in their ignorance they dishonor God who they should be worshiping. They're living in ignorance. They're living as if God is not real, as if He doesn't exist. So in verses 30 to 31 that I read, he gives the point of his message, which is for everyone. And he simply says, repent, because God will judge the world in His righteousness. The one true God who no one naturally worships is the only one who deserves our worship. He will judge the world according to His worth. He will be the measure that every person will be weighed. In this summary of what Paul said, Luke, the author of Acts, has given us four points to look at and consider this morning. We're going to take each one of them as they're given in our text. Let's look at these points. Number one, we are to recognize that the times of ignorance is over. 
Scripture in the Old Testament talks of the heavens declaring the glory of God. Psalm 19 verse 1. The glory of God is declared by the heavens. Even though God is clearly seen in His creation though, men's hearts have been hardened to Him. Paul is accusing the Athenians of being guilty of ignorance. This is not simply a slip-up that Paul points to. This ignorance is more than just not knowing to worship God. It has a moral weight to it. They live as if it's not obvious that God is who He really says He is. That this is His world and His glory is to be worshipped. All their acts of worship to these false gods are in vain because it wasn't given to the one true God who truly deserved it. All their good acts, they were meaningless. All their kindness and devotion and care didn't matter because it wasn't done for God. It wasn't done to God. This should have us look at our own lives and ask How do we measure up to this? We need to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Where is God in our lives? The truth of it is, you will never measure up. We will never be innocent. We will never do enough good. We will never show enough mercy to ever come close to giving God or to honoring Him the way that He deserves. We need to recognize that though God is clearly seen and declared in His creation, our hearts are hardened to Him. And we too are guilty of ignorance. We live as if there's no God who deserves our worship, and not just on Sundays, but every day. Like Paul telling the Athenians, we are being told that God has revealed Himself to us. And for us, He's told us about Himself in His Word. The Bible is God's gift to us, telling us about Himself and who we are in relation to Him and what we are to do in response to who He is. For those who don't acknowledge this, we are told that God is not oblivious to your rejection of Him. If you will, please turn with me to Acts chapter 14, verse 16. It's page 923 in the church Bible. Here in an earlier part of Acts, Paul says that people's ignorance and their rebellion don't go unnoticed by Paul. God overlooked, but He did not Ignore it. Acts 14, 16, it says, In past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. That is more devastating than what it sounds. It's more devastating. No one wants God to allow you to walk in your own way. The times of ignorance was a time when the nations created civilizations and cultures and they lived in their own way, not according to God's way. God allowing the nations to go their own way is actually a curse on them. 
God is not with them, and therefore they are against Him. All that God is, is not for them. They are in conflict with Him. They are standing on opposite sides, and there's no way for them to cross over. The Bible tells us that the ignorance is ultimately being unaware that God Himself will save His people. In past generations, people didn't know that. They didn't want to know that. It was a time when God was at work in history, establishing His sovereign plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Men have rejected God since the Garden of Eden. They've worshipped false gods. Man has tried everything else other than God. And the most amazing part of all of this is that God did not bring immediate judgment on mankind. God's grace is seen in Him preparing the world for His Son to come and to die. And His mercy to be received by His people who are from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. And the times of not knowing this are over. God has sent out His messengers all over the world to preach of the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. This is what the Old Testament was preparing for. The message Paul gives in Acts is deeply rooted in Old Testament language. The times of ignorance is the period of history before Christ came to die on the cross and to fulfill God's plan. And it's a time that's described for us in the Old Testament. Before Christ, it was the Jews who God chose to provide a blessing and salvation to the nations. All the nations were to look upon Israel and see God's glory and worship Him. But according to His plan, they failed. Even God's people would turn from Him and need saving. This is so God alone would get the glory. And if you and I lived in that time, we too would have failed. Sometimes Israel even unintentionally dishonored Him. It's just part of who we are as human beings. In the early part of the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapters 4 and 5, sacrifices are given for unintentionally sinning against God. You have intentional sins, and we even have unintentional sins towards God. God covered the sin by allowing His people who unintentionally, they did any of the things that His commands ought not to be done, He allowed a sacrifice. He didn't judge them. He withheld it. But told of a future, of a final judgment. God's character is clearly seen in Him withholding judgment for His people. But he's seen not only in how patient and gracious he is, but by vindicating his glory and establishing justice through his Son. His holiness is upheld by Jesus. He says that the nations will have a consequence for their rebellion and worship of other things besides him. Now that Christ has come, that God has fulfilled His plan to save His people and restore His glory among the nations, men are now without excuse. At one time, God left sins unpunished. It seemed like His holiness wasn't that big of a deal. People were blinded by their own sin and thinking 
that since this was the way for so long, God's righteousness is not important. And there are so many people today who live like that. They live as if God is not holy and righteous, that He is not going to have justice. Paul makes it clear that at one time it may have seemed like God overlooked sin, but He was never, ever ignoring it. He was patient with it. This is the new situation now. Everyone here must come to terms with not caring who Jesus is and understanding why He came to die, knowing that God's glory is vindicated and salvation from His judgment is only through Jesus alone, leaves you in direct line of that final judgment. Jesus coming living the perfect life to fulfill God's law for righteous living, then dying on the cross for sin, making peace with His blood on the cross, and being raised from the dead to reconcile God and man and provide the way of salvation, that changes everything. The time of not knowing about Jesus has ceased. The world is being told through God's church in the proclamation of the gospel, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Second, knowing that the times of ignorance are over, we have only one option. Repentance. We are to repent. God says at the end of verse 30, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Earlier in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we're told what repentance is. It says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repenting is a turning from your sin, not just a feeling of regret. It's acknowledging that sin is not worth pursuing, but God is worth pursuing. It's accepting that your sin defiles you and needs to be removed. It means you see the foolishness and the wickedness of rejecting Jesus. It's a change of heart of who Jesus is and who you are in relation to Him. God has to open your eyes to this. God has to open your eyes to the utter depravity of your sin. And when He does, you see it for what it is and you want it removed and replaced with God's holy presence. Acts 5.31 tells us that forgiveness of sin is only through Jesus Christ. It says, God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Sin is a stain that is only washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, with repentance comes forgiveness. It is God who gives repentance. God must bring it to your attention. And by His Spirit, you then realize it. The incredible grace of God toward those who have set themselves against Him enables sinners to see that they need a complete turning around. That their life before Christ was one of evil and shame for not giving God what He rightly deserves and being guilty of His judgment. 
And now, seeing Christ for who He really is, they are desperate for Jesus. Are you desperate for Jesus this morning? Acts 10.43 tells us that the Old Testament foretold of Jesus, and it testifies that repentance of sin and belief in Him are interwoven together. It says, To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Believe that Jesus atones for your sins. That He's the one promised in the Old Testament to redeem you, to save you. He's the one that brings peace with God. And through Him, God gives repentance and forgiveness of your sin. We see in our passage in verse 30 that the call to repentance is actually a command. It's a command from God. Commands do not afford us with the option of considering it later. It's not something that you can put off. We must listen to God when He speaks. This is God telling the Athenians and all people in the world, telling you to repent of your sin. This means that no one is innocent. No one can claim that this does not apply to them. No one can compare themselves to others and decide that they're not as bad as the other person. Repentance is a universal command to all people. Those who do not respond to God's command are then guilty. They're guilty of ignoring God. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10 sums this up pretty well. It reads, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven who raised Him from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. After Paul gave his gospel message, look at what happens in verses 32 to 34. There were some who mocked Paul in his message. They mocked this about the resurrection of the dead. How does that apply to my life, Paul? But others wanted to hear more. And there were some who joined him and believed in Jesus. Among whom also was Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. See, what Paul is doing is calling everyone who will hear and listen to the call. Not everyone who hears the gospel message will listen to it. The psalmist says in Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and we are the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. Hear today the call to repent in the name of Jesus and harden not your hearts. It is God who's calling you to repentance. Third, understand the coming judgment is approaching. God is gracious to call us to repentance. What a good and gracious and merciful God He is to call us to repentance. And He does it because He has determined a day for when He will judge the world according to His righteousness. And the judgment will be done by a man whom God has appointed. 
Proof of coming judgment is that the judge has already been appointed and put in office. That man is Jesus. On the last day of human history, Jesus will be the judge of all the people. The one who willingly died in the place of sinners will now judge all those who rejected him. Jesus himself told us of this day in Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32. Please turn there with me. It's page 831 in the church Bible. This is Jesus speaking of himself on that day. Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32. When the Son of Man comes in his day of glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus again says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Then Jesus gives this assurance in verse 24. Jesus has said, The Father has appointed me to be the judge. I'm going to look over all the people. And then look at the assurance He gives in verse 24. This is the Christian's hope in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the Christian's hope. This is what we stand on. Because of the resurrection, we know that this is true. Jesus is coming again. Those who repent and believe in Him will be spared judgment. Those who ignore the call to repent and they reject Him, He will judge and that judgment is final There's no appeal. That day is fixed. When it comes, there's no way around it. And that's why the call to repentance is so urgent and necessary. Don't think that just because judgment is not here yet, that it's not coming. God has already given proof that He is faithful to His Word. He fulfills His promises. He promised to send a Savior and vindicate His glory. And He did that in His Son, Jesus. He promised to redeem a people for Himself. And He's doing that all over the world. His words have more assurance than any other guarantee. God is faithful. It's who He is. And He's faithful to His own word. He's telling all of us that the day of final judgment is near. So don't despise God's grace. Don't ignore His mercy and Jesus. Hear the call of repentance and respond. The assurance that gives that God gives that this day will surely come is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That leads us to the last point. Accept the proof of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to this entire passage. It's central to the entire gospel message. It's central to anyone who either gives or hears the gospel message. That's what it rests on, is that God is able to raise Jesus from the dead. 
Because of it, believers have assurance that repentance will occur for those in Jesus. For those who repent and believe the resurrection, it's cause for celebration today because that judgment's not for us. It's a great day of rejoicing because God has given repentance and forgiveness through His Son. But for those who are facing judgment, the resurrection is proof that God will judge you. The assurance is that the judgment is real by a person who is capable of justice. This is life. In this life, there is not. This is not all that it is. What you and I go through every day, there is more to this. God has created you to be satisfied and fulfilled by something greater than anything in this world can offer. You were created to worship Him. Don't leave today without accepting that Jesus is risen. This makes Jesus the key figure in God's sovereign plan. He is why the whole world was created. He is why you were created. And to reject Him is to reject why you exist. And for that, God will hold you accountable. If the resurrection of Jesus really took place, then every skeptic, every person who mocks Him, every doubter, every person who's apathetic, every person who's interested in other things or put someone else in front of Jesus, every person who delays and is pulled away by their own desire to seek other things will face a future of judgment. Don't let that be you. Hear God's call to repent. In repentance, find peace and hope that Jesus is coming again. Those who have Jesus, we have the sweet joy of knowing that Jesus is for us. If you've repented, then give this gospel message to those God has put in your path. The resurrection of Jesus proves that He is Savior. He's the one who was promised. He's the one who satisfies. He's the one who gives repentance. And He's the one who would judge on the day that God chooses. Don't delay in sharing this message of what the resurrection of Jesus means. Give them the warning and then share the good news of Jesus and the assurance that you have.